live and pre-recorded. This is the Red Ticket Blues Podcast. I am Brian Buckley. This is Hitting the Internet's on April 24th, 2017. How are you? Oh, my God. That's wonderful to hear. I can't even contain myself. So much shit going on. Jimmy Butler and Marcus Smart about to throw down. Jimmy Butler saying he's not about that life. Marcus Smart, that is. You know, both of them had some pretty shitty uh, upbringings, uh, shitty experiences. So maybe they are about that life. I want to see a good fight in the NBA because it's all posturing BS. But anyways, uh, if you're new to the podcast, you can always hear all the other ones, including this one on iTunes, TuneIn, Radio Stitcher, YouTube, and Google Play. And follow me on Twitter at BrianBuck13 and at RedTicketBlues. So sometimes on this show, I will rant and rave about whatever the sports and pop culture society bullshit and sometimes i have guests uh, like bob ryan frank deford or jeff perlman or phil mushnick or whoever it may be uh and obviously this is an episode with a guest and that is mr richard dyche who is the uh he's a writer particularly sports media for sports illustrated an editor he's an adjunct professor he's a man who wears many hats he explained those hats individually and very consistently um we get into stuff on Twitter and sports radio and the, the, the face of journalism nowadays, how he inspires students, things like that. So I think everyone will enjoy it. So enough of me uh, just uh, blabbing on. Uh, here's Richard Deich. He is a writer, most notably the sports media column on Sports Illustrated, in addition, an editor and in addition, host of the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Richard Dice, thanks for coming on the podcast. Well, thanks for the hype job on all my titles there, Brian. You're welcome. Oh, I could keep going. You know that. I mean, there's plenty more. Um, but let's see here. I don't want to start the podcast sounding like a W, uh, excuse me, a 30 for 30 promo. But what if I told you Richard Dice, as talented and as knowledgeable as he is and how he scours the net for some of the best journalism links and how he's the eternal pursuit of making the WNBA relevant. Some people know you as the guy that trolls Skip Bayless. What would you say to that? Uh, I'd say that's very true. In fact, um, you know, given um, Bayless's fame and given the fact that on Twitter I've been, um, you know, <laughs> I always sort of phrase it at this point almost on a daily basis of citing his ratings against uh, television shows that run in that time slot that day. There's no doubt that I would certainly on social media. I mean, there must be thousands of people if they know me at all, only know me for that. And, um, you know. Obviously, you know, it's a weird sort of question to sort of answer in that, like, you, you know, if you're in this business, you want to be known for reporting and writing and and doing quality pieces and caring about journalism as I do. I also teach. So that's important, at least for the students that I've had to think of me as someone who's at least, in, you know, imparted something good on them. But the Bayless stuff I get and I'm not going to stop it. And I think the people who understand why I'm doing it know that. At this point, it's not even about Skip Bayless. It's about those who enable what Bayless has done for a long time. So that's both ESPN and Fox Sports 1. And that is just the, the decade-long attacks unfairly on specific athletes. And even though those athletes are famous and maybe that comes with the territory, you should be aspiring to something that's at least truthful or honest and not just simply doing it for, you know, professional heel or professional wrestling heel sake. So I'm really just trying to comment on the absurdity more than calling out Skip Bayless. I mean, at this point, people know I've done it. So I'm not, I don't care how he feels about it. it that's irrelevant to me. But I'll be honest, if, if anybody at Fox Sports 1 or prior at ESPN, if a management person 
was bothered by those tweets for one second, I would consider that a great thing. Well, I mean, and you sort of answer my next question, but at the same time, like, I, I, I think he's a complete joke as well, a, a contrarian that is, anyone who listens to or watches that show, I, I don't understand. But, like, why even feed into it? I mean, his, 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 uh, at Fox, Fox Sports, I mean, it's been a disaster. Why, why even mention his existence at this point? That's a fair question. Uh, I mean, can I simply do it because it's just, it's amusing to me? Right. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fun. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting there you know, in a dark corner, uh, you know, with the, the dark net, like scouring ways to figure out how to sort of take down, you know, Skip Bayless. I, it just, at this point, um, there's no doubt part of it is playing to the crowd. I'd be the first person to admit that. And, um, and it's mostly, if, you know, it's mostly, <laughs> it's just fun. It's fun at this point to find like absurd uh, television shows that are beating this one, which is why when I get people giving me feedback, like it's not an apples to apples comparison. Of course, kids shows are going to beat uh, debate shows. Yeah, like, dude, I, I get it. Debate I'm not shows. saying it's a, it's a direct correlation. That's not the larger point. But I would never I, I understand your argument because I get it a lot. It's like, hey, why are you even focused on this guy? Um, it's so low rent. Don't um, deal with him. And I would say that. um all those arguments are fair, except, and I apologize, but it looks like I'm getting beeped all over the place. That's, so don't worry about it. Don't worry. Um, you can but, swear uh, as much as you want. We won't beep you here. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I love swearing on my podcast, too, so that's fucking awesome. Yeah, there you um, go. Perfect. Love it. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, I guess I would just say on that, it, it's like um, the, the, the people who, Fox, big companies have chosen to put him on. I'm not making him more relevant he already is relevant. He's, right. if, you, if, you, if you determine that people are successful, and I don't, but if one determines people are successful based on the amount of money and fame they get, he's, in, he's one of the most successful sports media people in the history of our existence. So I'm not adding to his fame. His fame exists. I am doing this sort of for a larger reason. And Brian, I'll be totally honest with you. I'm actually doing it at this point for total amusement as well. And if you want to criticize me for that that is more than fair no that's that's listen that's a very honest answer it just i i go to the other way i don't even like mentioning his name but i get it, it right yeah um last question on bayless and we'll definitely move sure. on here um have you ever met anyone in real life any human that actually watches that show i feel like he is just it's completely on twitter and on the internet that people like that show i've never met someone that's like hey did you see skip today wow i mean he was funny he was funny uh, well, I certainly did when he was on first take because, I mean, again, it's ESPN, dominant sports television network in the country. That show many, many times uh, something would happen, particularly controversial, that would um, you know, rise to the level of, uh, I guess for lack of a better phrase, like sort of the top of sports Twitter or, or right. in that world. So certainly when he was at first take, I would hear that a lot. But you got to keep in mind, Brian, given um, what – sort of my primary beat is at Sports Illustrated is I talk to a ton of people in the quote unquote industry every day, including from Fox and ESPN. So I hear it a lot from them, but I understand that I'm in a bubble on that. So I'm, I'd be the wrong person to ask That's because true. I'm definitely, I'm going to hear it because I talk to Bayless's agent a lot just because he represents other people as well. The interesting question would be, you know, walk down the streets of Omaha, walk down the streets of Manhattan, walk down the streets of Santa Barbara, like how many people will have seen the show? And odds are you are correct. The answer would be zero. 
I mean, I just asked because, I mean, most of my life I've lived in, in Connecticut and now I'm in Northern California. So, I mean, I'm oozing in self-righteousness. Uh, so I like to think that I'm smarter <laughs> than everyone. So I just, you know, and you mentioned some middle America places and I don't mean to call those people stupid because that, that's, it, there's less to uh, consume there. So you go with a big place like ESPN to get your information. But I just have never met anyone in real life. Obviously, you, we different walks of life with your job. I just never met anyone that says, I really like that show. I really value his opinion. Yeah, I, would say, I just would say this, and again, um, you know, I try to be really sort of smart, I think, about understanding that Twitter, Twitter in particular is a, such a tiny su- subsection that represents nothing statistically relevant, and you can get into bubbles. All that said, because people within a certain ecosystem know that I tweet these stats out, I do hear from a lot of people who are, who are Bayless fans. Uh, or maybe a lot's not the right word, but I hear from them who either will say he's right about this or he's right about that or, you know, the, the, a ridiculous canard like, you know, you wish you were him, which is just dumb. Right. And, and that kind of stuff. So I guess I would say, Brian, that like there is an audience out there for this. And that is the reason why these programmers continue to do such shows. Okay, uh, I you know mentioned all your accolades earlier, and as you said afterwards, that you are an adjunct professor at Columbia in journalism as well. Um, talk have, about uh, talk about the ivory tower, right? Yeah, Look seriously, jeez, I mean, you could tell some stories, I'm sure. Uh, first, have you ever found out you blocked a student on Twitter? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Um, no, I have never blocked a Columbia a Columbia student on Twitter, and um, I don't think I. I would. I just know it. Not that the, not that these, uh, not that our class is, uh, you know, everybody's Woodward and Bernstein, but, uh, yeah, I don't think it would ever get to that level where I'd have to block. It's a good question. Uh, journalism, obviously. Uh, it's, it's taken its lumps uh, as yep. a profession. It'll probably continue, honestly. And I don't want to call it a dying area because I hate that term. But how do you inspire students right now in, in a field that, listen, a lot, of, a lot of places, you may have to work for free in the beginning. And the masses, the, the, the prospect is making not a ton of money. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, we, we certainly encourage them not to work for free. You have to sort of value your worth and your um content that said it's an incredibly tough time for all of these uh kids who are entering the profession jobs still exist but the jobs have changed dramatically where once upon a time you could go work for a fairly small newspaper somewhere and at least make a living wage that job now may be as a producer um or one of 50 producers for like uh you know, BuzzFeed or some other place where you're not really doing a ton of reporting and doing a lot more maybe aggregation and stuff, or you have to really freelance and uh, from job to job and essentially become part of the freelance economy and really hustle to make ends meet. But here's sort of the upside. There's never been a time more in society, or at least in the course of our lives, where there's more information and the ability to get this information exists in the easiest form because of the web. Distribution, of course, has, uh, has been game changed because you as look at what we're doing right now, Brian, this is your own homegrown exactly. podcast. You can put it out there so you can create the, the ability to create content or create journalism has never been better. The problem is how do you get paid for it? And that's the, that that's one that hasn't been perfectly solved, but if they are, here's how myself and I, I, I don't teach this alone. I teach this with Jay McManus, who's a ESPN writer and commentator there. And if you're in this school, which is a grad school, you, you are paying a lot of money for the school and you are, if nothing else, serious about journalism. So you've already, I think, passed some kind of psychological Rubicon where, like you said, you are willing to, you understand 
that that jobs are are scarce and you understand that it's not a the, the greatest growth profession but you are willing because you love this and there's a passion within you to do it and you would be and you are willing to give yourself a number of years to make it where let's say if you were a MBA student or a lawyer you know you'd never make you'd never wait 10 years to get no. some kind of good job so i think at least for our students there's already an expectation they understand what what world they're going into and they're willing to grind it out at least when they're young because it's something they love. But here's what I would tell you is that I went to Columbia as a grad student um, a while ago. And in my class, I'd say now half are out of journalism. So that's interesting in only whatever, you know, 15 years or so, like that the, um, the, a, a group of people who at the time were so dedicated to being professional journalists, 50% of those guys are out of the field now. So that that sort of that that tells you where these kids are heading into. All that said, and I realize it's a little bit of idealism, I've never met anybody who wanted to be a professional journalist who really wanted it in their heart and soul who didn't become that. So I, I do believe that, at least for the, the group that we teach, if they want this, they'll eventually work. I can't say they're gonna be rich, but they will eventually work. That's an inspirational message. And I mean, you help out other people daily uh, by tweeting out some of the best links uh, to journalism all over all over the internet, all over, you know, national publications. And you're also listening to, to sports radio nonstop. I mean, what, what time do you wake up in the morning? I mean, how do you consume a, a WEI morning show, find <laughs> like a, a obscure piece in the in a, a Kansas City Star and then like comment on Francesa bloviating all in one day and then write a column? Like how, what, how does that happen? Yeah, well, listen, I appreciate uh, you, one, taking notice. The Francesa part, uh, isn't that tough? Um, yeah, that's very, listen, I've been listening <laughs> since I was 12 years old. I'm well aware. Something. Uh, well, I mean, I have uh, two and a half year old twins. And so um, I'm up really early with them, uh, you know, six in the morning, they're getting up. And so, um, and I'm going to bed probably at, you know, midnight or a little bit after. So to start with, I, I don't sleep a lot. It's probably not the healthiest thing but this that's just the reality of life right now with um with little kids and the times that they are either napping or sleeping you know i am usually um consuming some sort of media obviously outside of the times i'm with my wife etc but like I, I it's very hard for me to shut it off to be honest and um and secondly and this is probably even more important than my own consumption I'm at a point where I, especially on my Twitter feed, I feel like I follow so many smart people who are great gatekeepers that I find um, it's not me per se going out on the web and scouring and finding all these great stories. Like 80% of them are coming into me because I just, I feel like I follow a lot of really bright and smart people in the news gathering or journalism business. So a lot of times, Brian, I'm just keyed off. On I'm it. guessing like, I'm not following the smart people then. I don't, well, I don't know well I'll, give you, this, I'll give you just an example like on Francesa. You know, Jimmy Trana is a colleague of mine at Sports Illustrated. He's like right, a Francesa again. addict. Yeah, he's, he's again, exactly. He's been like a Francesa addict for like, I don't know, 20 years or so. So literally, if anything happens that Mike Francesa does of no, and I know, you know, using his as an example is not the best one, but if anything that Francesa does that's noteworthy, I'm going to see because of Trana, like literally two minutes after it happens, giving people know what I do, at least within the ecosystem I live in, if ESPN or NBC sports or CBS sports or Fox sports, something crazy happens on those networks, someone's going to alert me in like two minutes. So um, while there's no doubt I'm working a lot and paying attention to this, 
I, I am luckily at a point where I feel like um, so many people are sort of alerting me to it as well. It's not if you if you if I had to just sort of go through the web on a daily basis to find great story. I mean, you couldn't do it. It would take you all right. day. And so, um, so a lot of it's just coming into my inbox, so to speak. I mentioned WEI and you listened to my podcast uh, with Alex Reamer a few weeks That's ago. Right. And I, I took- trashed me. No, well, I think I did more of the trashing. I think Alex was very, uh, very yes, diplomatic. I uh, mistakenly attributed a Katie Nolan um, criticism that you had towards him. But I did say this about your Twitter etiquette. Let's see. I want to play it real quick. It's about 30 seconds. Just let's listen. I just find it funny that, you know, Richard Dice, who is going to criticize other people for reaction when, I mean, he's complete pan. Listen, Richard Dice is very talented. He's very smart. He's worked hard to get where he is. But I mean, his recipe for Twitter excellence is so predictable uh, of just tweeting out things that most Americans don't want to listen to, most sports, you know, women's basketball, obviously, we talked about. And then he has, you know, ignoramuses respond with, uh, you know, mean and insensitive things, and he shame retweets them. I I, I just find it, uh, I thought it was a bit much from him. So what do you think of that? Is that is there any truth to that? Is that completely out of line or somewhere in between? Well, I think, for one thing, that is not my quote-unquote Twitter strategy, so that you're, you're <laughs> okay. way overreaching there. Okay. Uh, which you just... Which you just also on this podcast uh, reiterated what I sort of do on Twitter. That said, there is absolutely- <laughs> I, I, I love you, then I hate you. It takes two seconds, right? right? Exactly. Well, you, 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 you could be a CNN political commentator. <laughs> um, but the, um, you're definitely not wrong in the fact that this is where, you know, and I've gotten to this debate with um, people at WEI and other places. My, my love of women's basketball is legit. Uh, it's not a put on. And by the way, could you do something more stupid to try to gain followers and follow women's basketball? I mean, come on. No, no, it, 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 that is true. If, you want, <laughs> if, if that's you want, your intent, if you want, then you're not doing audience, it right. <laughs> if you want audience, talk about Tony Romo and, right, and, right. and, and, and Cam Newton. All National stuff. So here's the thing. I, I'm a, bit, I'm a, um, a fan of the sport. It's not the right word because I cover it. But, but I really, truly love the sport. I think it's interesting. I think the people in the sport are interesting. So I do tweet about it, and I just covered the women's Final Four. Now, here's where you're totally correct. There is no doubt that if I tweet something about like, hey, the ratings were up, I know that there's going to be some mouth breathers out there who say get back in the kitchen or do this. And I find it amusing to then throw their comment out there and let the crowd sort of descend on them. So there's no doubt that at times um, I'm doing that. Now, if you want to say that's a dick move, I I will take the hit on that. I think it's – I think there's a larger point that like people should be aware of the fact that like – Women's basketball and women's sports writers still take they take so much more shit than your than than the men or the male equivalent. But do I do what you said? I do. Uh, there's no arguing that. I just don't think that is my uh, like de-, de facto Twitter strategy. I mean, if if I even you know tw- you start talking Twitter strategy, you sound like Rovell. So I don't even want to get into that. <laughs> I know like, you love him. Yeah, but like w- what I try to honestly do, and I've always tried to do this, is I basically want to have like 80, 75 percent of my feed to be really interesting, great stories that I push out to you, uh, including from Sports Illustrated. And then the other 25%, it's going to be my content, my stuff, and my musings on stuff, and you either like that or not. I think the percentage has gone a little bit by the wayside because of the Bayless stuff. Because It's getting a little, uh, it's getting too much in favor of what I'm doing, so I, I'm going to try to go back again to tweeting more from others than me but that honestly has always been how i've approached twitter and i would say this like i mean keep in mind i I write sports media this is not covering the nfl or covering the nba 
And I got a pretty good social media following from something that's really niche. So if nothing else, I think people respect the fact that, um, like you said, I'm willing to like highlight a lot of stuff that does nothing for me financially or anything else. And a lot of the people I highlight I've never met. I had a couple people who say, oh, you're just sending out stuff for your friends. Like, I, I mean, think about that. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's anybody. a bit much. Yeah, like I don't know writers at the Kansas City Star other than maybe occasionally like if I tweet something, they say, hey, thanks for sending that out. It's just I'm not gaining anything from sending out a really great column that I read in The Economist. I mean, the, I'm not going to work for The Economist ever, and that's not the case. So that's um, so, yeah. So I'd say you're partially right. The OK, one that's thing fair. I, the one thing I would just say is, you know, because we've never met, you know, know me, I, I, I would assure you that. I'm, I'm not agenda. There's not a larger agenda at play other than to just inform people that this kind of sort of shit happens all the time when it comes to women's sports and women journalists. Totally, totally. Um, you mentioned a while ago, I think it might have been a real while ago, that you wanted to do a piece or a podcast with people you've blocked on Twitter, correct? Yeah. Uh, what if I told you you're participating in one right now? I love that. I think that's great. Uh, and, and I'll admit it, it was years ago and my, my Twitter maturity had not reached its peak. Uh, and I, and I basically just started agreeing with everything you were saying just to be, uh, you know, to incessantly doing it. And I was blocked. So I guess the next question is, is Twitter negativity getting worse? I mean, we all know it is just, yeah. it's, 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 it's not the nicest place you want to go if you're looking for, you know, accolades and attaboys. It, it is, a, is it getting worse and is it a real threat to the brand or is it just, we have to accept what it is? No, yes, yes, and yes. Um, threat to the brand. There's probably somebody smarter, like a Peter Kafka at Recode, or one of these dudes who understands, like, what the real-time negativity of Twitter's lack of security. If you want to get negativity to the point of really bad stuff, threats and stuff, how that impacts the brand. I, I think it does. I'll take the back end of your question first. I think it has hurt Twitter in that I feel like less people are apt to join because of the negative press about all the negativity on it. That, that would just be my guess. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like the most appetizing place if you are a, maybe I'm going to stereotype here, but you know, you're a 32 year old man or woman working somewhere and you don't haven't been on a lot of social media sites and you want to pick one and you're reading all the stuff about Twitter. I don't know if it's the place you want to go. Although the president of the United States, uh, it's his favorite <laughs> forum. So if nothing else, you would want to be on that, I guess, for, I'm sure a lot of people have joined just, just yeah. to see <laughs> that. <laughs> Hasn't helped the stock price, though, interestingly oh, enough. Oh, believe um, me. Yeah, you're yeah. preaching to the choir here. Yeah, yeah. I know. So um, here's what I would say. I think in our business, uh, I'll sort of uh, include you in this, the business of content. Oh, that's nice. Uh, in sports, you have to be on it. I, I, don't, I don't know how you could not be on it and not be connected to what the news of the day is or what, um, what stories are out there, what people are saying, what athletes are saying. I, I don't know how I could do – I don't know how you could work at a place like mine or any – sports media entity and not be on particularly on twitter and likely on facebook or snapchat or something else so so i think we're the wrong sort of people to even opine on it because i think we have to be on it the ne there, it absolutely has gotten more negative um and i think this would just be my five cent take i believe the political divisiveness in this country is the reason why it got more negative in the last couple of months sports has always sort of been a um a little bit of a bar, but it, it, it didn't always have it, it didn't have the feel that it has now where I feel like opinions on everything on Twitter are often really polarizing, maybe because of the morphing of it, Kaepernick and other stuff um, that's caused it. Again, it's not all negative, And I feel I find every day 
either somebody says something really nice to me or I read a story that really is uplifting. So it's not 100% negative. I do think, though, your skin has to be a little thicker than it used to be. And here's the last one. This is something – trust me when I say this. I'm not a a big name dropper at all. But I I will name drop Scott Van Pelt here. And the reason why I'm doing that is because we once had a direct message talk offline. And I don't think I'm breaking any kind of confidence when I reveal this. Um, Well, we'll we'll check with uh, the legal with that. But go ahead. And so we were talking about the fact that, like, you could get, like, a thousand people who say, hey, I really love that column or, or in his case, hey, I really love that segment you did. But the one or two people who are really negative are the ones you remember and the ones you want to respond to. Why is that? Is it like a – is that something like within our human condition or human nature? But I agree with them and that's where I think we are a lot of times with Twitter is I might get – for something I tweet out or like let's say a podcast I did that people love like 500 and that's too many 100 people saying hey this was great I really loved it the one person who sort of takes a shot at me or says this or says that is one the one I remember and two the one I want to respond to so what does that tell you I don't know what it tells you but that's that gets into your larger question of is Twitter negative and and maybe you know maybe there's a reason like all these cable shows tend to go negative and tend to go criticism because maybe that's what sells. But uh, yeah, it's turned a little negative. I, 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 I'm never, I'm not going to ever not be on it until it folds or ends, and hopefully it doesn't happen. Just because I think, at the moment for me, I have not found a better news resource that helps me do my job. Absolutely. No, I, that's uh, I get all my news from Twitter. It's it's there's no there's no other source. Um, negativity, cynicism. I want to go back to WEI for a second. Sure. Um, so there was a there was an article in the Washington Post a few weeks ago, kind of sappy about uh, you know the Renaissance man Jim Nance is and how wonderful he is. And uh, you've been on Kirk Menahan's podcast enough about me multiple times. Right. Um, I, excuse me. That that I, I have to backtrack here. That post, the Washington Post story, talked about how much is too much cynicism in sports media now and how Jim has stayed away from that. Kirk Menahan, Jerry Callahan, I mean, that that show defines cynicism for people that don't know WEI in Boston, morning show. Does the world need more like milquetoast uh, boars like Mike and Mike or or do they need more Kirk and Callahans? Uh, hmm. (laughs) I have to think about how to answer that. Somewhere in the middle, I guess. Given your descriptions. Um, Well, the thing about Nance is it's genuine. Like, uh, there's something I, about you know, him that uh, I, I don't. I mean, listen, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but there's there's something I don't about think he me. Is. I think he's. Listen, I am not some uh, Jim Nance's nonsense at the Masters is annoys the hell out of me. I, I'm not. I'm not paying homage to beautiful Augusta and a club that has the one of the worst histories of sort of discrimination, discriminate, you know, discrimination practices forever. So I don't buy into all of Nance's sort of glory bullshit. That said, I'm that's my word bullshit, not for him. Okay. It's true. He he really does love golf and he loves like what that's about. And he I think he truly does like love sport and loves the moment. Having talked to him a number of times, I don't think it's an act. Everybody who I talk to at CBS who's dealt with him behind the scenes says he's a good guy. So and these are people who would not have to lie to me. So I, I believe it. But I understand where Callahan and Minahan are coming from in this, in that like um their whole premise of their show is that enough with the spoon-fed PR bullshit? And we do get a lot of that. Um, I think, when I would tell this to their faces, I think they see that in everything. And when you see that in everything, 
you, 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 you're, the show starts to become a little bit too much. Oh, it's a hate-a-thon. Everything's hate, yeah, hate, yeah. hate. It's too much, it's too much of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a smackdown and, and a, you know, and a cons- not a conspiracy fest isn't the right word, but it's too much of a hate-a-thon. Your, your word is the best word there. So I, I would just say pick your spot. The Nance thing is a fair spot to pick because I get it. You know, you read that and you're like, this is ridiculous and, and, and you know, he's a little too saccharine. Um, I'm trying to think, does the sports world – you know, Mike and Mike are different. Mike and Mike and Mike are not um, good. They're not milk. They're not as milk. They're vanilla, but they're not as milk toast as Nance. It's a, sort of a different kind of feel. Where um, where Callahan and Minahan are both right and wrong. Unlike a Mike and Mike is here. Was, here's what I would say, Brian. I think you would agree with me. They're correct in that cities like Boston and cities like mine in New York and cities like Philadelphia. Mike and Mike can't play like no. the way a local show can because. They play to the middle, and they play more vanilla, and these, those are cities with, like, passions. And it's, these are cities, hard cities to live in. There's a lot of people. It's a pain in the ass, and that's sort of what you want or expect out of your sports talk. But I can tell you, having traveled the country for SI, in certain college towns, in certain um, cities, uh, like in the Midwest and, uh, and uh, like, Southwest, Mike and Mike are big. I mean, they, oh, that's the God. big sports show in town. So I think a lot of it – a lot of it kind of, I think, has to do with where you grew up, one, and two, um, what you sort of want out of your local sports person. And in Boston and in New York and in Philly and maybe in Chicago, too, I think you just probably want a harder edge than maybe you would in uh, Long Beach, California or uh, Yakima, Washington or right. Tucson, Arizona. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said before, I, I spent almost my entire life in Connecticut. So, I mean, I got WEI on top of me. And right. uh, I guess I'll end here with. Well, uh, let, me just say, let me just say one thing because you're interested in this. It's worth you guys knowing. Politically, I don't think Jerry Callahan and I can be like more on opposite ends. No, I don't think so. Um, and I think that show through Callahan can be so annoying in terms of the political talk. And I mean, I think Minahan is better at than um, than the, the previous guy who was there, John Dennis, in terms of pushing back on uh, some of Jerry's nonsense. All Absolutely. that said, all that said, both having been. At the, having done the show live in studio, as well as doing Minahan's podcast twice, they could not have been more respectful of giving me the opportunity to sort of speak, to, um, to let me sort of give my opinion, even if it differed from them. And I got a lot of respect from that. There, trust me, there was no benefit to them doing that. To be honest with you, I feel like the other way they could have gotten like a lot of mileage out of, hey, we try to smack down this. SI writer from New York, you know, they, they kill Peter King, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I really appreciated that. So I, I know a lot of people don't like that show and I, I get some of their past is really shitty, but on a personal note, I, they could not have been more sort of respectful in terms of having a back and forth dialogue. So I appreciated that if nothing else. You know, it's weird. I, uh, I, I've been listening to them for a very long time. I'm a big Kirk Metahan fan. And I, while I, like I said in the podcast, Alex Rumor, I respect you, but there are certain times on, on Twitter that you really annoy me. And I say, oh, the God, that dice, dice. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and yeah, then you know what? I hear you on them. And you've been on Kirk Metahan's podcast twice. And I say, really, this, is, like- this is yeah. not the guy that I dislike. I like this guy. Well, it's interesting. Jimmy Trainer once told me this. He's not wrong, and uh, I, and I don't really know how to correct it or whether it can be corrected. But he thinks that people will misjudge who I am based on their exaggerated 
take of how I tweet. And he's probably right in a lot of sense. But that's the problem with Twitter. There's no context. There's no nuance. And, you know, I don't have enough time to explain my larger sort of thought on why I'm doing what I'm doing on Bayless. I, I did it with you. We talked for seven minutes. Whether you agree or disagree, at least you now know there's like there's like thought behind that. And I'm not just trying to troll for the sake of trolling. And I think Train is right about that. I think if you just consume me from Twitter, you would have one viewpoint. I think if you heard me on Minahan's podcast or my podcast or any kind of forum where I've had a chance to talk for a while, um, I'm not saying you'd love me. But whatever you thought of me on Twitter would not be the same. That would be my take. Okay. I usually end almost every sports media guest podcast with this same topic, and that's WFAN. Uh, Let's see here. Mike Francesa is planning to leave WFAN on December 15th, 2017. In your opinion, is he really leaving? And if so, where is the expert on everything going? Um. Well, here's the thing. Like the one thing I know about sort of covering sports media is these jobs are hard to get. Um, what Francesa has, he has, he has one of the best radio jobs in the in the country when it comes to sports radio in terms of salary, reach, standing, ease, etc. So it's not an easy job to to leave. And I don't know him at all, so I don't know what is going on with him in terms of his home life, in terms of his health, in terms of you know, is he just tired of the grind? Which he may be. I would tend. This is a guess. I would always tend to bet on on a guy like that staying longer than this contract in the way I'd always bet on Howard Stern re-signing. Now, if Francesca walks away, he's going to have a lot of options. Not at the same money he makes now, but I will guarantee you there will be a production company either that he creates or one that's created that would take this guy and do what Tony Kornheiser is doing and do a podcast every day with him if that's what he wants. See, here's the thing, though. I, I got to interrupt you for a second. Sure. As, as someone who's listened to Mike forever, he – and maybe just we've become hypnotized by the fact that it's part of the show. But I almost in my mind feel like he needs callers. I can't sit and listen to him just his diatribe go on and on and I bore agree. us. Like that – I don't find that entertaining whatsoever. I, I do not think that will be a great – hear, hear me out. I'm not sure it will be a great podcast in terms of the content. But I think based on his name and based on his audience, he would be able to get that. If I was Mike, um, what I would do is I would – I mean he's not going to you – know, Mike is Mike. He'll do whatever he wants. And I don't know what his relationship is with management. It clearly is pretty horrible. Yeah, I think for like 10 would, years. Yeah, <laughs> Seems I, like. would, I would re-sign. I would reduce my hours. That's what I think. And then I would try to – as much as his ego needs to – as much as his ego probably like – hates sharing the mic, I would do something with Chris in the digital space. I don't know if Chris is allowed to do that um, on Sirius or Mike should negotiate where he could be paid by Sirius and he and – I'm making this up, you know, whatever. He and Russo do a, a Friday two-hour show either in podcast digital form or something where they can get the pub- publicity of a Mike and the Mad Dog 2.0. I wouldn't do it every day, but I would – I would almost do it as a vanity project. That would be uh, interesting does, seeing Mike if is... Does, if, he does, if he does blow out of FAN, um, the, the, I don't think he would do this. I talked to Train about this, but like, what would be fascinating to me is would ESPN in New York have any interest in the guy just to take a flyer? You couldn't pay him what, what he's being paid now. I'm just making this. I'm I sort think of they do, part. but I don't think it's re- the feelings are reciprocal, though. Okay, I was going to say, do you, would you take a flyer on him, try to get him into the... Um, 
12 to three, or maybe you split up K show and have Mike do five to seven. Like, is it worth it to have that conversation? And is Francesca so pissed off at CBS and FAN management that he would actually go to ESPN? I don't think he would, but it would be interesting to me if the ESPN guys at least approached him to try to have the conversation. Uh, and one last thing about WFAN, uh, I mean, with, let's say Francesa does leave, you hear, uh, Chris Christie, which is just an abominable idea, uh, bring, bringing him in as the, I guess, main guy. I mean, that does not bode well for the future of, uh, the country's probably most notable sports talk radio station. Do you agree? I mean, is that, that bad? Yeah, it would be. I mean, I, 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 I think there are smart people running WFAN and I would have to think that while. I mean, I, you know, then again, bad hires are made all the time. A, a move like that is interesting. For Forget about the fact that Christie is a loathsome figure and the worst governor in, in, the, in the country, in my opinion, which is saying something. Um, it's, it's a move that, like, is interesting for, like, the first, like, two to four months he's on the air. Right. But then it quickly loses point, steam. It, not only does it lose steam, not only do I think you alienate your audience who dislikes Christie immensely, who won't even tune in, but – what gives you the idea that this guy is going to do the five-day-a-week prep that you need to be great at this job, and it's just not a launching pad for him to go elsewhere? That's the one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize, and if you've worked in radio as I have, you know, is it's a hard job. And, and in order to be great, you have to do the prep and be all in every day. And I do not believe that Chris Christie has made a decision in his head that I'm now going to become a sports talk host and I'm, this is going to be my job that I'm going to take seriously and I'm going to prep every day for it. I don't buy it. I think he would come in on try to trade on his name and that's a great move for like a month or two. But I think FAN, if they do that, they are they are writing their own epitaph there. That would be yeah. a bad move. I think also just, you know, the, 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 the insults that callers could call up with all the time. Like, oh, you know, go to John in New Brunswick. Oh, actually, I'm on the bridge, Chris. Can you get me out right. of it? Or, uh, you know, how, how did it feel being a lapdog for Donald Trump? What was that like? I mean, can, that, you imagine, that, can you imagine me and the producer of that show and how horrible a job that would be? Oh, I'd, I'd want to hear from Ralph in Manhattan and Mike in Montclair every day. So I mean, I. Honestly, Jesus. Uh, real quick before I go, I got three little rapid fire questions before we leave. You ready? Yep. All right. If Donald Trump said, I love the SI Media podcast with Richard Deich, outside of asking him on, how would you respond? Oh, boy. <laughs> I, Jesus. I mean, I would, I mean, the, the famous Deadspin response is fuck you, but I don't think I would, I'd be more respectful. Um, I might say appreciate you listening, though I disagree vehemently with how you're running our country or something like that. Okay. Number two, this is definitely a uh, you know, 3 a.m. Uh, WFAN idiocy to Tony Page kind of uh, level of craziness <laughs> here. But uh, yeah, I don't mean to you know I don't mean to single out him. It's just he's out in the middle of the night. Uh, it's just such a. It's just if you were listening to this podcast in Nebraska, I know, like, I know. Tony Page, Mark Melusa, so who the hell is that? Um, but with Fox Sports trying to compete with ESPN, I, I, again, this is crazy. They, they, they need some buzz. Would they consider he's getting out of jail this year, O.J. Simpson, as an analyst? Yes, they would. You really think so? Holy and, shit, I did not expect yeah, that answer. They we, would. I, belie- I believe they would. Um, I absolutely believe they would, yeah. I mean, w- would, would they eventually sign the dotted line after the protest came, et cetera? I don't know, but would they consider it? I am near certain they would, yes. Wow. I, I'm stunned by that answer. And number three, will you consider unblocking me? Yeah, I think I'm going to do it now. I, I'm not. First of all, I'm not even sure that I remember blocking you. It was years or that ago. You are blo- Here, I'll literally do it right now. What is the what's the what's the handle? At Brian Buck thirteen. 
Brian Buck thirteen. I will. We'll do it in real time, so you can even confirm it to your uh, to your to your audience here. All right, you are blocked. Uh, <laughs> all right, let, you should sh let's see. Let's see how quick Twitter is. Let's Check see. it. Are you unblocked? Yeah, I'm, hold on. One hold second. on one second. Do it in real time. We'll do it live. This Bill O'Reilly. Fuck it. All right, Richard Dice. I'll write it. And we'll I'm following it. you. Holy Christ, it's happening. Holy Christ. There um, it is. Richard Dice I mean, is I may, I may, who knows? I may block you again in a week, but yeah, right now you. I, I think I've matured. I, I think I don't think you're gonna have to worry about that now. You swam. Um, through, uh, you swam through the river that Andy Dufresne did. So you did. <laughs> I, I made it out. Uh, Richard Dice is a writer, editor, Sports Illustrated. Of course, he does his uh, SI Media podcast, Adjunct Professor Columbia. If you're looking to register, and uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Richard Dice. Richard, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. You got it, Brian. I enjoyed it. Thank you. So there he is, Mr. Richard Dice of Sports Illustrated. The, the, the tweets sometimes from him are infuriating, and I can't stand him. But you hear him speak in more than 140 characters, and I'm like, I, I kind of like this guy. I like him. This, this is a different guy. He's also critical of himself, too. You know, just a tad of humility. Don't take yourself too seriously and, and be open to criticism. I hope every MLB beat writer of every publication is listening to this, because that is the group that takes themselves way too goddamn seriously. Came out of nowhere there, but it's the truth. Anyways, uh, remember, you want to listen to this podcast and every podcast that precedes it uh, is on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, YouTube. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, there's only two places. It's at BrianBuff13 and at RedTicketBlues. I uh, will be back later in the week with all your great analysis of anything and everything. With all that being said, I'm out of here.